Section 5 of G. K. Chesterton in Vanity Fair magazine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. G. K. Chesterton in Vanity Fair magazine by G. K. Chesterton. Section 5 The Library Broken Loose. Cosmopolitanism consists in saying that because the English like tea and the French like coffee, therefore a mixture of coffee and tea will be an universal beverage, pleasing the palates of all nations. This unity, which I detest more than all the other devils tempting the modern mind, is all the more a devil, because it dresses up in the vestments of various religions, new in the West or old in the East, or both. But there is another form of fallacy which is even more impudent than this notion of a mere mixture, as anything more than a mere muddle. There is the reformer who does not even mix anything because he has nothing to mix. He may be rather compared to a man who should boast of having discovered a new and admirable wine, dating its vintage and praising its bouquet, when he only means that he wants us to drink water. More often he means that he wants us to drink nothing at all. The flavor of mingled tea and coffee, though not necessarily pleasurable, would probably be perceptible. But the other reformer invites us with boisterous hospitality to drink out of an empty cup. He is especially prominent in the province of the arts, notably of literature. And the mark of him is that he offers a thing as new when it is merely negative. Let us take for the sake of argument the case of poetry. A man who could really invent a new meter would indeed be like a man who could invent a new wine or a new game. He would have made a fresh tune for all men to think to. Even a man who should succeed in introducing a genuine modification or new management of an old meter would almost be worthy of a statue, if not of a shrine. A real change passed over poetry even with the arrangement of the four lines in In Memoriam, or of the other four lines in the great English translation of Omar where Fitzgerald was more dismal about wine than Tennyson about death. For that matter, there has lately been no new lyrical form in the formal manner of the old ballads or villanelles, whose limitations can be very fruitful. Anybody can write a triolet, but nobody can invent a triolet, in the sense of something of the type of a triolet. A friend of mine did indeed invent a form of five lines of intricate rhyme and haunting rhythm, but he found that only one set of words could possibly be made to fit it, and they did not make anything very striking in the way of sense. So he retired in despair and wrote the best detective story of the century. Still, it certainly was a new meter, and a new meter would be something new, 
but the fashionable idea of innovation is to have no meter. It must be exceedingly easy to innovate in that style. It suggests obvious possibilities in the new cookery, which consists of eating things raw, or the new cut and fashion in clothes, which is walking about naked, or the new and original school of architecture, which involves sleeping in the open air. But there is no discovery here, because there is no enrichment. This is not adding something, but only taking something away. I think Walt Whitman was a very great man, but I think he would have been a greater one if he had written in meter. It seems chiefly a matter of the arrangement of words on a page, and I prefer the affectation of the old cavalier rhymers, who wrote their verses in the shape of a dove or a heart. For these were at least shapes, and not shapelessness. But the other is entirely negative. It seems to consist not in arranging poetry, but in disarranging prose. But the same trick of substituting negation for novelty can be seen in more subtle and generally more soothing manifestations in many other branches of modern art, and notably in that very fashionable narrative art which we call fiction. Just now the novel is anything but novel. In theory, it should be a new form, since it arose later in human history than the drama, the epic, the lyric, and the other recognized forms. It is now not so much a new form as a new formlessness, or something that is daily growing more formless and less new. It is not a new shape, like a new box or bag made to contain certain things. It is more like an old sack so loose and shapeless that the things of any shape can be stuffed into it. If the novelist has a fancy for explaining at length why he himself does not believe in tariffs or conditional immortality, if he wishes to describe in detail a village he once visited in Sweden, or to refute the arguments of a book on the higher criticism that has recently irritated him, or to write a lampoon on his publisher, or to introduce a happy phrase he has thought of, to describe the earlier stages of seasickness. He puts all of this as a matter of course into the novel he happens to be writing at the time. There is nothing to stop him. There are no rules to test whether a thing is novel or not. For the novel arose historically in a romantic reaction from all rules. A lyric means a thing that can be sung. A drama means a thing that can be acted. But a novel need not mean anything, not even a thing that can be read. It can be written, and even that is a mystery. Thus it is broadly true of books, and even of pictures and statues as well as books, that the only idea of innovation is the destruction of limits or as I should say, of outlines. A novel is only new insofar that we are not quite sure 
whether it is a diary or a dictionary or a bundle of pamphlets or the notes of a psychologist or the daydreams of a landscape painter. A vast amount of very beautiful work is being done in this way. But such a mere negative escape is not a renaissance in literature. It would have much more the note of a renaissance if we heard of new limits and new laws. Men mock at the old unities of the classical drama, but it would be far more really revolutionary if we heard of new unities for the contemporary novel. Then we should know that some kind of creative impulse was carving new forms out of the chaos of formless fiction, for when anything from a boy's club to a new republic is really free, it uses its liberty to make laws. And one of the first laws that both the club and the republic generally have an impulse to make is a law for the limitation of speeches. It may be observed that those who cannot speak at all generally speak for a long time. In other words, those who make bad speeches generally make interminable speeches because they cannot stop. And that is what is the matter with all the arts of self-expression when art is for a time in decline. They cannot stop. The sonnet becomes an epic without knowing it. The short story becomes a long story out of sheer absence of mind. The drama deadens into a daily routine because the actors, like those in Sheridan's play, do not know how to get off the stage. The parallels of intellectual architecture elongate themselves in the endless perspectives of a nightmare. And when the dreamers have done the same thing for the thousandth time and forgotten how they came to do it, they say they are doing something new. End of section 5. The Library Broken Loose. Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.